Well, good morning. My name's Eric Hansen. I am uh, one of the pastors here. Really glad that you are here to join us today for worship. And we are in the fourth of what will be a five-week series called Wellspring, which is really a series seeking to understand how can we live God's generosity out in our own lives. And what we've sought to say over the last three weeks is that um, generosity actually comes with all, in all sorts of different kinds of currencies. Oftentimes, we hear the word generosity, we think it really is just about our finances. But what we have sought to say, actually, is, is that God, who is the wellspring, the originator, the, the, um, the prime giver for everything that we've received or have, invites us then to that, have that flow out of us in every single kind of way. With our time, with our talent, and also with our treasure. So generosity gets expressed with the, in the way that we um, spend our time and with whom we spend it and why we spend it in that way. Generosity, that what God first gave to us, gets expressed when we um, mentor students and children. Gets expressed when we hang out with our neighbor who's going through a really hard time. Gets expressed, actually, when we give ourselves fully even to our work so that it might glorify God's kingdom over time. So all those things, all those different kinds of currencies that we spend and invest that we have first received, and that does also include our treasure. It does also include our finances and our possessions. And of the five weeks, today's the day. We're going to talk a little bit about our possessions and our finances. Every pastor loves to talk about money. In part, we're nervous about it, usually because we know that there's um, sort of this caricature out there that this is all that pastors talk about. And yet, if we're going to talk about generosity, we have to talk a little bit about the actual resources that we have financially and in our possession. So let's pray, shall we? And uh, we'll get underway and talk a little bit about um, our finances when it comes to living God's generosity out in the world. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together. Thank you for your tender care over us. Your word promises that it is beautiful, that it's true, that it instructs, that it points the way Sometimes, Lord, we hear those things, we, we hear from your word, and sometimes it just lands softly. Sometimes it hits our hearts pretty hard. And it's our prayer today, Lord, that your word would pierce our hearts. Keep us from being callous and cavalier with what you show us and teach us today. In the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. If you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer, and all God's people said, Amen. Okay, I want to start today with a a little story from uh, when I was uh, late college, late university student, and very, very early on in my career in married life. 
I lived in the Seattle area. I grew up in the Seattle area. Amy and I, when we were first married, we returned to the Seattle area. And when we were there, when I was there at that stage of my life, um, there, was a, there was a baseball player who also played for the Mariners. And I want to show you uh, his uh, baseball card. What do you notice about that? So he's a little bit older than I am. He's, I don't know, he's eight or nine years older than me or something like that. But you wouldn't necessarily know that uh, if you, all you do is see him on a pitcher's mound sort of way off in the distance, and then you see me up close and personal. So a couple times, not often, but a couple times, I would, we'd be at, uh, I'd be going out with some friends for uh, a dinner or a beer or something like that, and and because I was of the age where this would happen, I would get carded. And a couple times, people would look at my card, I, my, uh, um, my driver's license, and they'd hand it back to me, and they'd say, are you the Eric Hansen? And I'd say to myself, self, do you claim it? And a couple times, when I was feeling especially bold, I'd say, why, yes, I am the Eric Hansen. And sometimes, you know, very professional, they'd be, well, it, Mr. Hansen, I'm so glad you joined us, uh, you know, tonight for dinner. Sometimes they'd be so bold as to say, well, can I have your autograph? And I'm like, I ask myself, self, do I do it? Of course I do. Give me a pen and paper. I'm happy to. So and this is where one time I got caught. The rest, it was, it was like I said, a tiny handful of times. But this is where the jig is up. Eric Hansen, the baseball player, is right-handed. Eric Hansen, the non-baseball player, is left-handed. So that was awkward. But the rest of the times were just fun. And maybe someone out there has an Eric Hansen signature that probably isn't worth very much, but it's worth even less than they think that it's worth. Because of this series, I've been thinking a little bit about uh, that baseball card, and I actually uh, I got one. Uh, this is a couple years after that. That was his rookie card. I've been thinking about the kind of stats that are on the back. He was an okay player. Um, you know, he had one, uh, he had one all-star season. He had uh, one uh, season that, where he won 18 games. But the rest of the time, he was barely over like a 500 pitcher. Wasn't all of that, uh, wasn't all that interesting. And it got me to thinking, if this wasn't a baseball card, but if this was really me, what stats would be on the back? What are the stats that we would put on the back of my life card that would sort of say, this is the kind of life of significance that Eric Hansen, the non-baseball player, had? What we're going to talk about today is, is what sort of stats maybe should go on your life card. We're going to tell it through the story of this, um, of this man who's actually pretty confused about the kind of stats that should go on the back of his card. But before I do that, I, I already have one of these at home. I want to give this one away. Um, so we're going to do it by birthday. Uh, his birthday was May 18th. Anyone here born May 18th? Anyone? Okay, May 17th? 
May 17th. I love it. Here you go. So the great thing about that card is, well, um, the one I gave away at the, at the previous service, it uh, let me know on this, with a sticker that it's worth 20 cents. So there's that, but now you can always remember to pray for me. That's great. Um, all right, so let's turn, shall we, to Luke chapter 12 and read the story of this parable of this man who has the, so the wrong idea of the stats that matter most. And we'll dive in together about what maybe should go on the back of, of our card. So this is Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. It's on page 894 if you want to follow along on the Pew Bible that's in front of you. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Stop there. Go back. Thank you. So this starts with an, an actual sort of living interaction, and, and someone calls out, Jesus, like other rabbis, will you be my judge between me and my family? It's fairly common, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. So I want to be really clear with you as we start all this conversation. Jesus came to bring people close to God, not closer to their possessions. And what he knows, actually, is that this, this fight is, is actually, it's not so much about justice. It isn't about greed. There's some dynamic that's going on in the life of this man as he calls out that Jesus says, I will not be your judge. I'm not going to do it. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So I'm not going to engage this story of your misdirected affections. You're worried about things that are not the primary thing. That strikes home for me. But then, because it seems like such an important idea to Jesus, he, he fleshes it out with a parable, which is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Then he says this, and then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. 
Even as a very young believer, that closing phrase always has struck me. What does it mean for me, for us, to be rich toward God? But I've also oftentimes been very confused by this parable. What has this guy done wrong? We have a lot of people here who are connected uh, to the business world in some way. They've started a business, they're running a business, they're involved in business, they teach business. There's so much business in Boulder. What has this guy done? He essentially has said, our, our business is starting to sort of, you know, do a little bit better. What should I do now that I'm sort of growing a little bit? I know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going I'm to grow capacity. I'm going to grow my storage capacity. Doesn't that just seem kind of wise? Doesn't that just seem actually sort of like the right kind of business practice? Doesn't it seem like that's honoring what God has given to us so we can continue to grow and develop and improve? Well, it turns out this isn't really about success for Jesus. It seems to be about something else. This man has been doing something else. There's some failure to act responsibly with what's happening with him that he's missed. In the middle of his success, in the middle of the growth, in the middle of all the work and the churn that's required to sort of build a business, he's lost sight of something really important. He's lost what actually goes on the back of our life cards. I want to suggest today at least three stats that might go on the back of your card that he's missed. And just because um, we're sort of in this kind of mood this week, they all kind of, you'll see why I say this in a second, they all sort of kind of start with the letter P. So not only are there three points, it's also alliteration. I love it. All right, so here we go. Here's the first thing we need to know. If we're going to live generously, if we're going to live God's generosity out in the world, it requires portability. It requires portability. This man's built a really good life. It's the kind of life that actually probably uh, maybe many of you have built, or you have friends who have built this kind of life. They've focused their efforts. They've, they've done the extra hours. They've made the right moves. They've grown and they've grown. They've built a treasure. But they've built it on things that are not eternally portable. Maybe you've heard this phrase, you can't take it with you. Or there's a title of a book, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. See, this man, one of the reasons why Jesus has this harsh word for this man in this parable, who's not a real person, is because he's not living with the right understanding of what is really eternal. There's a well-known story of a preacher one time who, uh, in the back behind him, is, as he was preaching, had this stacks of stuff, musical instruments and, like, Playmobil cars and big doll houses and boats and all these things. And, and as he was speaking, he had this stack of these 
um, sort of yellow sticky notes, and he was writing something. And as he was talking about generosity, as it turns out, he was just sort of stipping, sticking word, you know, these stickies on each of the things that were on behind him. And eventually, when he got to the last one, he said, here's the thing that we need to be really clear about. All these things, all of this investment, all of the time that we spend out in the world doing things, and he turned this card around and it said, temporary. All of the things that we are investing so much of our time and effort and imagination and hard work they're temporary. They won't last. They won't get to the other side. And I know for some of us, it's even the thrill of the acquisition. But friends, the thrill itself also is temporary. And I'm nervous that oftentimes uh, I invest so much time in things that are not portable. They're not coming with me. And if that's you too, if you are spending your time and your imagination on, on acquiring things, then you, I want you to know something. They're, they're going to come to an end. They will end. They will not come with you. And then you will be left empty. Because way, the way you spent your life won't travel with you. And then this preacher went on to say that there's really only, there's only one thing in this room that's eternal. And that is the human soul. The only thing that you're going to get to carry with you is the human soul. And what seems clear is that this man in this parable has, has not actually been investing in the kinds of things that he can actually carry with him. Ambrose of Milan was this, uh, this bishop uh, in Milan, as it turns out, in the 400s, in the 4th century. And this is what he wrote about this passage. The things we cannot take away with us are not even ours. Only virtue is a companion of the dead. Compassion alone is what follows us. How often have we been thinking about the things that we have as being these things of utmost significance? It's not polite to talk about it that way. It's not, to, it's not really the kinds of things we should say, and our culture doesn't allow for a lot of that sort of bragging about our acquisition. But don't many of us privately think it's given us a certain kind of security? And the man in this parable, he, he thinks this, these things are going to set him up. Ambrose, in thinking about this passage, simply says, look, these things we cannot take away, they're not even ours, so why do we focus so much on them? Why do, they, why do we spend so much heart energy and life energy and time away from what does matter to get things that don't? They're not even ours. And what we see there is that impulse to actually let the wellspring of all that we have to receive the gifts of the Lord and to let them pour out and overflow. So the first thing we need to sort of ask ourselves in the back of our card, are, are we investing in the kinds of things that are portable? 
One of the greatest gifts in his own generosity that Ambrose gave to the world um, was a disciple named, that we call St. Augustine. And this is what he wrote about this passage. The farmer did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his own barns. He had totally and completely missed what mattered most about the things that he had been given and he had received. And he started to sort of store them up for himself. I'm going to make myself sort of safe and I can rest and I can retire. Look at it grow. All the while missing that in the economy of God, what matters most is that which is eternal. And he had missed. The farmer did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his own barns. So on the back of my life card needs to be something about the way I'm investing that's portable. I get to take it with me. It gets to be part of my story and my, my journey and my mansion when I'm with the Lord. But it's not only portability, portability, it's also this. Generosity requires tending the pasol. Let me see what I can explain, if I can uh, explain that, because that's a little ridiculous. Go to the slide, would you? Okay, so that bottom word there, uh, suke, that's where we get our word psyche. And we, for us, because of psychology, we think it's sort of about a, sort of our mind and some of those kinds of things. But, but in, the, um, in the language of the Gospel of Luke, that, that word is actually related to soul. And this little phrase, it doesn't come through very clear because it's kind of messy and it sounds kind of jokey to say it. But what he really says, when you, if you were to look at there at uh, verse 19, simply is this. And he says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty. What he really says is, and I will say to the soul of me, soul, you have plenty. The word is actually repeated twice. There's lots of sort of interesting little Google debates about where this little phrase came from. I will say to myself, self. None of them drive all the way back to the first century in the Bible. But this is the earliest one I've seen. He says to his soul, soul, now you've made it. Now you can rest. Now you can eat and drink and be merry. But friends, the problem is he's resting on things that are impermanent. See, it'd be one thing. It was like, okay, from, from the standpoint of business, now I'm able to do these things with what the Lord has given to me. But that's, that's actually not what he says. He says, finally, now, with the acquisition of these things, my soul can be at rest. He's not tending to his soul with the kinds of things that will actually feed his soul. bounces around in my own heart and mind when I think about the way I seek to tend to my own soul. Are you secretly, quietly, privately building a life because you're pretty sure that things that you acquire will help your soul to rest? That's what Jesus is worried about here. That we focus on things that are, um, that we can't carry with us. 
And we've convinced ourselves over time that they, they actually will nourish and grow and keep our souls safe. We've made these things that have sort of this kind of eternal significance. But friends, only Jesus will save. Only Jesus will allow us to have life and to have life eternal. Are you, are we developing the kind of soul that learns how to rest and trust and be shaped by Jesus himself? This is what it means to be rich toward God. That we would take this one thing that we have that's eternal and we would seek to nurture it and grow it and develop it, not try to protect it with things that are impermanent, but to let it grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the back of our, start co- on our, of our stat card is this, this question about portability, and it's this question about our soul. Is it invested in the right way? Are we developing the right kinds of life and practices? Is our imagination pointed in the right direction? So here's something that I think I know about developing a soul that loves God. I cannot make my soul love God. I can't. I probably have tried. In fact, I know I have. Maybe you have too. And as a result, maybe sometimes you're not so sure you actually love God because you, you've tried to make yourself so hard, you just, you've lost even the feeling of God's being close to God. Here's what I want you to know. You can't make yourself love God, but you, you can develop the kinds of practices that help you sort of get face-to-face with God more often. And can I just tell you, the more often you are face-to-face with God, hearing from Him, reading His Word, putting yourself in places where you have to sort of rely on His character, well, friends, then you are going to find yourself in love with God and your soul tended to. Not because you've been hoarding, but because you've been investing. Not in yourself, but in the bellies of the people around you. See, I think what's true for me, what's true for our culture, I think actually true for every culture, every culture has some way that they keep score. Every culture has some way that they keep score. And over time, the culture sort of finds itself hooked to that over and over and over again. One writer has said that my behavior in my life will be dictated by whatever scoring system I am emotionally hooked to. What is your soul hooked to? What scoring system is on the back of your life card? Is it the development and the tending of your soul? Or is it in the acquisition of wealth to seemingly try to protect it? encourage you to to build the kind of life 
that can fall in love with God. Unhook yourself from all the other scoring systems that are out there. There's a lot. We compare, we contrast, we feel good, or we don't. What if you just unhooked yourself emotionally from all of that? So I think it's really clear that this man in the parable at least has said, Soul, I've got the system and I'm good. So if we're going to live a life of generosity with our, with our money, we need to invest it in ways that are portable. We need to be unhooked from our possessions so we can actually grow our soul. And finally, we need to be focused on the plan. We need to be focused on the plan. Capital T, capital P. If you've been following along with us in uh, the reading of the Gospel of Mark this week, you read this passage just a couple days ago from Mark chapter 12. Jesus was asked by a person, which commandment is the first, what's the best, the most important of all of them? And Jesus answered, well, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Friends, this is the object of life. This is the plan. Love God, love people. Does the way you spend your finances reflect that? Love God, love people. It's been said that, these, that that's the summation of the whole Bible, that the, the rest is just commentary. That that's actually, that's all that we need to know. That's, that is the plan. That's what it is to, to be a human being, is that we seek to love God, who is eternal, and love people who are eternal. The rest we won't carry with us. If you do this, if you're able to seek and strive and learn how to love God and love people, then you will never be poor in God's eyes. But if you ignore this, if you ignore the plan to love God and love people, then friends, no matter how much you acquire, you will never have the kind of wealth that God admires. In the passage we're reading today from Luke, the way that that gets expressed simply is in this one way. Be rich toward God. That's the plan. All the kinds of currencies that we accumulate in time and talent and treasure, take all those things and invest them in the plan. Love God, love people. That's what it means to be rich toward God. When I hear that for myself, I'm like, I have some recalibrating to do on my recalibration. I'm not sure, actually, that my life and my finances and the way that I think about those things actually uh, is always reflective of that. In fact, I know it's not. I think I've even confessed this before, but I can't help but notice all those little lotto signs that have the amount of the jackpot right now. 
And like the man in the parable, I'm like, gosh, if I won that amount of money, I'd be set. I'd be so good. It'd be great. Love God, love people. I'd be so set. I mean, I'd give some of it away. Love God, love people. And I realize there's much about the way that I've constructed my own life that actually doesn't reflect that invitation to live God's plan. I'm living on my plan, not the plan. And Jesus has a word for that. Do you know what the word that he uses for that? He says, you fool. Now that is not a very polite word in, you know, in Judea and not now. I would not use that word. I have learned as a pastor, I should not call my congregants fools. It was a hard lesson. Not really. But Jesus uses it. This is, like, this is Jesus' word. He says, if you've been sort of building things in the wrong way, then when your life is taken from you, you won't be ready. Here's the thing that I, I want you to know. When the game ends, and it all goes back in the box, it turns out that the CEOs in the room, or the future CEOs in the room, the, uh, the scholars, and Lord knows, because we're in Boulder, there's like, a, you know, you, you can't shake a stick and not hit an engineer. All the engineers, Right? All the people who are part of our community who are, are homeless. All the people who are trying to scrape out a life throughout the world. The, the lowly, ultra-poor sort of cattle farmer on the plains of Africa. Here's what I want you to know. We are all going to be judged on the same level playing ground. God is going to ask the cattle farmer... The same question God will ask you. With what I have given you, have you loved God and loved people? Let me check the stats. Portability. Soul care. Living my plan. been said that you can uh, tell uh, a church's or an organization's priorities by examining their budget. Turns out it's also true of individual households. We're coming up at this interesting time in the next couple of months when all of us get to examine our finances through the eyes of of tax day. What story do your finances tell? Are you closer to living the plan or your plan?
What do you need to do today? With everything you've got to love God and love people. I got a couple things. I've heard the sermon three times, but I've got a couple things. Probably you do too. And as we close in prayer, I just want to acknowledge this is one of those areas where we squeeze the tightest. I will not do that thing I know I'm supposed to do because my soul said to my soul, I'm working hard for this. But friends, this is better. When we come before you today, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we know that you are calling us to a, a new kind of a life that is not focused on the abundance of our possessions, but that we seek to build and design a life with you that is portable, that will be carried to the other side to live a life where we can sort of develop and grow our soul and not just hedge it in with our wealth. To spend our life on the plan of loving God and loving people. Will you help us today to let go of our grip? To see what you have for us as we live out of the wellspring of your generosity for us. In Christ's name, amen.